Welcome to the Cosmic Yoni, <laughs> the Ace of Cups, the very first in the suit of cups. The formal title of the Ace of Cups is the root of the powers of the waters. And uh, since it's been a while since we've done an ace, since we did the Ace of Wands, I guess maybe we could talk about the concept of the root, I guess, the idea that it's the source from which all things flow. One of the important things about aces is to realize that they're the root or the seed idea of the element rather than the element itself. Just as the fool is about to do something, it's sort of an incipient energy rather than, you know, the element already present. It's like, I think um, Liber Theta really says it in a good way. They, um, you know how the aces are placed at the North Pole? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the four quarters. So the aces are placed at the North Pole and the meridian is at the Great Pyramid and the elements go eastward around. So the uh, Ace of Cups would correspond to the area of the Pacific Ocean. And it says in Liber Theta that in the same way that the meridians of longitude all emerge from the North Pole, which has no longitude of its own, even though it's the source of all longitudes or their convergence, so do all of the aces represent a tendency to step away from unity in one of the four directions or one of the four letters of the divine name. And each of those has the potential for manifestation of one of the elements. And note that the wording is the potential for manifestation. Exactly. I think uh, the way Crowley puts it is there is no real manifestation of the element in its material form. Yes. So what you're talking about is the projection of the tree of life as a solid sphere, right? Yeah. And I wonder if we can get some kind of graphic up on the site. I'm, I haven't seen a lot of really easy to It's parse. a hard thing to have a graphic yeah. of because it's so dimensional. Right. Um, right. But you can think of, you know, if you think of the, the sphere of the earth and the North pole, basically it's the dot at the center of the circle, you know, mm -hmm. and it, mm -hmm. and it extends out in four directions. And then you have again, the circled cross. And as you were saying in that previous quotation, if you take even one step away from the North pole, you have committed to direction. You're going somewhere yes. now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's a tendency rather than um, an actual, but once you step out, yeah, there's a direction chosen, a right. potential for that element. The element that we're talking about is water. And it's interesting for that reason that the correspondence that we talk about spatially with the Ace of Cups is the Pacific, because <laughs> that is our most right, watery quadrant. <laughs> area of water that we have, pretty much. Mm -hmm. The other cool thing, so in Libra Theta, they talk about with every minor, as we're aware, having a meditation with the two related majors but with the aces the meditation is with also with two related majors but what they use for related majors is the elemental major and the fixed sign major so in the case of the ace it would be the hanged man and death which okay i was wondering really about that interesting mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. because hanged man and death there's a certain element of of sacrifice involved there and we see, it's like we see yet again in another way how these these cards of life are also cards of death in a sense. 
Yes, yes. And even if you look at, as we will later, if you look at the card in sort of its Christian iconography, it is a metaphor for the blood of Christ. So there's, you know, sacrifice and redemption in there as well. Yep. So mm -hmm. I thought that was really kind of cool. So that's in Liber Theta, the associated majors being death, which I would have figured in the first place, but also but also the hanged man. Now, yeah, the hanged man, which is one of the uh, three mother letters, mem, which is water. Right, right. So for example, I guess we would have, if it were the ace of wands, we didn't do this, but we would have the judgment card. Um, yeah, or, we'd have or the, the honor judgment, mm -hmm. and then you'd have lust or strength. Right. So is that so only fixed. in Liber Theta or is that elsewhere in the Golden Dawn? Um, I don't know. That's where that's where I'm familiar with it mm -hmm. from. Um, but, it, you know, I don't know if it originates with um, with him. I've been trying, I've been sort of just trying to decide all morning whether to change what I have for associated zodiacal majors and just, you know, I was going to, I mean, just eliminate justice and temperance and just call it death. But, um, but maybe I should throw in the hanged man too. Hmm. Yeah, I, I personally do. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense because it's, you know, the aces are such a card of their element. And then you also have the three majors that are associated with the princess. So there's a link there, but as usual, it's centered around the Karubic sign. If you visualize the solid sphere projection, I mean, I think there's a text in the Golden Dawn that specifically says that the aces are not associated with the zodiacal majors, but, um, you know, with the signs. However, if you sort of continue that projection down from the North Pole to the South Pole, you do get you know, to the band of the Zodiac. And and you do have the association of the throne of water with Libra, Scorpio, and Sagittarius in that way. So I, I never think, really know. Yeah, I never quite know. I think know what even to make of that. death is appropriate to associate with this just because as we go through the, the symbols in this, it really does um, have some distinct tie ins to the death card. It so really I, does. It really does. I think does. it's pretty valid. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think we're we're comfortable with <laughs> with it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that idea of sacrifice. I don't know. Um, I think yeah, it'll come out as part of the as we get yeah, into it's bound to what's it's in the cards to. themselves. I think that'll yeah. be part it'll, of the discussion. Yeah, we don't need to worry about it. But why don't I we just... talk a little bit about the? Um, the Great Yoni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's definitely talk about the Great Yoni. So the idea, right, with this card is that it is the counterpart to the Ace of Wands, the Great Phallus. It is the um, Holy Grail to the Sacred Lance, I think that's what Duquette calls it. Yeah, or the sun, to, or the moon to the sun. You know, the yoni to the lingam, the moon to the sun, the earth to heaven. There's like a polarity with these two cards. And what it boils down to is that, you know, God or deity is both masculine and feminine, but this is the feminine division. Right. If you're going to, you know, divide up the universe into two, then this is the yin side or uh, the sacred feminine. This card, there's a lot of... um you know, when we get into the imagery, but there's a lot of association with this card with 
God in a feminine form as the Holy Spirit being feminine rather than masculine. So you have that trinity of Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And there's a quote, I think it's in 777. I'm not sure where I got it, but no, it might be from Sefer Yetzera. But it says, one is she, the spirit of the Elohim of life. And it's Mm -hmm. talking about the Holy Spirit as a feminine aspect of God. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Because we are talking about, in the divine name, we're talking about primal hay. Yeah, there's a lot of primal hay in this card. (laughs) And um, in the book of Thoth, Crowley even sort of mentions this really quickly, cryptically. He just says he calls this card the third in the hierarchy and he capitalizes hierarchy. And I think he's talking about God as the three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right. And we do see references to Holy Spirit in many of the Ace of Cups cards, uh, no matter the tradition. I also think, um, just backing up for a second to the idea of water being associated with the Pacific and being associated with the West, uh, particularly, that's interesting to me because we don't just see it in the Western tradition. There's also a tradition in at least Chinese lore that the West is associated with the ancestors. So there's something about the continuity of blood, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, or the idea that uh, the West is where the sun goes to die. So that's therefore where your ancestors are departing to after this life or something like that. That kind of makes sense uh, with something else I read in that this the cup that's shown is sometimes described as the cup of the stolas or stolistas. I'm not sure how you pronounce it exactly. Yeah. Which is also in the golden dawn tradition said to be associated with something called metempsychosis, which is souls, you know, reincarnating life by life through both animals and people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting when you said ancestors and it just brought up that, that theme of regeneration that I think is part of this card, life and death and and Mm -hmm. spirit and how it travels. Yeah, I like that a lot. Hmm. Where did you read that? Oh, where did I read it? Um, (laughs) I don't know. Somewhere in the Golden Dawn stuff. I jotted it down. Of course, I didn't. Oh, it's impossible to, you know, track everything that we that we have written down. There's too much. I'm trying to decide whether we should talk about the Cup of the Stolistes now or talk about it when we get to your card. I think now, because we're about to go into Kabbalah anyway, probably. You want to talk about what the Cup of Stolistes is in the Golden Dawn context? Okay, so there's two ways to look at it. One is the diagram itself. The diagram Mm -hmm. is cup-shaped, and it's drawn on the Tree of Life, and it encapsulates all the Sephiroth except for Keter. We should um, probably do a graphic, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's that. But there's also, so, well, what is it? Um, so mm-hmm. the Stolistas is, 
It's a word, a Greek word, I believe, that means the preparer. I actually did just look it up before we started, and the verb is stolidzo, which means to adorn. There is a priestly post, the adorner or the preparer, just as you were saying. Yes, and the, mm -hmm. this preparer is the purifier of the temple, a, you know, a priest that has the, um, the that role. And he's usually placed, he or she, usually placed in the north with the cauldron and the well of lustral waters or holy waters. Right, right. And the cup itself, the diagram is kind of composed of three graphic shapes, I guess you could say. Yeah. Right. There's a crescent that kind of connects the supernals at the top, and then there's a circle in the middle, which links four sephirot. It starts with tiferet, and then it, it connects Chesed and Givora and Yesod. And then beneath that, there's sort of a final triangle that connects it to Malkut. And I think the idea there is that those are actually supposed to be representative of the three elements. So the, the crescent is water, and the circle is air, and the uh, triangle is fire. Mm. It's not a very good cup. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea also of how it sets Keter apart just in the same way that the aces are set apart from the rest of the minors. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of weird that we have uh, the fire triangle at the bottom. But on the other hand, there is that connection between fire and earth that we keep talking about where the two of them sort of inevitably intertwine. The term I also ran across when I was researching about the whole cup of the Stolistus and the lustral waters is that the word lustral itself comes from a root word that means purification by sacrifice. So again, there's that idea of sacrifice. Nice. Have you ever heard that in some traditions – the way that holy water is prepared is by extinguishing a torch or a candle in water. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, that is so and cool. That, as well as, you know, a blessing from a priest or whatever, but they, they extinguish fire in water, you know, either a candle or a torch, immerse it in water. And it just made me think of the whole, you know, lingam in the yoni, the yes. ace of wands in the ace of cups kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of the final uh, literally climactic scene in Promethea where the uh, swizzle right. stick goes into the martini. <laughs> Yeah. Or whatever it is. Listeners, that's uh, a reference to Alan Moore's Promethea, the uh, talismanic work and graphic novel that is a brilliant coded disquisition on the tree of life and worth trying to get your hands on if you can. Okay, so uh, so maybe we should continue with the Kabbalah material. The Ace of Cups is Keter, uh, the highest Sephira in Bria. We talked about Atzilut, that is the world of archetypes that's associated with wands, and Bria is the world, I think they call it the world of creation, which is associated with cups. Yeah, I've also heard it called the throne, which I thought was really interesting. Yes, that is interesting. In what context? Just as another name rather than the world of creation, Bria mm -hmm. is sometimes called the throne, which I'd have to meditate on that, but it just grabbed me as being interesting. You also sometimes hear it described as the mental 
level or um mm-hmm. which is weird because you might you'd think of that as yeah exactly yeah. but it's a pure kind of intellect it's the idea of forms so absolute is kind of like before the idea the idea to have the idea <laughs> the uh the the world of bria is a world where those forms are beginning to take shape so I think Rachel Pollack described it as, for example, you know, this is where you have the idea of lion or the the idea of snake, but you don't have the particular species or the particular, you know, distinguishing characteristics. It's just the idea of the thing. Yeah. And it kind of makes me think of, you know, ripples in the water of creation. Yes. Yes. The first ripples, you know, the first idea of something about to take form. Yes. And there's another thing you can do, which is kind of neat, uh, which I found in in Rachel Pollack's book. Let me just grab it. This is the Kabbalah tree, which is one of my absolute favorite Kabbalah books. And she has a diagram in here, which uh, here it is on page 70, which shows the divine name, but it shows it instead of reading right to left, it has it reading top to bottom. So the yod on top, and then hey primal, and then the vav, and then hey final. And what you can do by sort of stacking them on top of each other is sort of create a semi-human figure. And where the, the, the yod is the head, and then that makes Bria the sort of shoulders and arms. And what she says about this is interesting. Um, the idea is that with our arms and hands and our ten fingers, to remind us of the Sephirot, uh, we reach beyond our own bodies to something greater. Our hands allow us to create. The pure ideas come from the brain, but without arms and hands, we could create nothing. Oh, I like that. Isn't that nice? It's It doesn't look a lot like a person, but you can kind of I get can picture idea. it, though. Yeah, a little stick, <laughs> a stick figure. Yeah, kind of a stick figure. Yeah. I guess we probably talked about Four Worlds a little bit um, when we were talking about the Ace of Wands, but in the same way that you could say the Ace of Wands is associated with the Supernals, you can say that the Ace of Cups is associated with the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Sephirot. So that would be uh, Chesed, Gevorah, and Teferet. I also kind of see some... Um, association with the supernals in this card as well, though. Mm-hmm. Because if you think of all three supernals as being, you know, Keter and then divided into Binan, Hokma, this is this is the Binah division. Right, right. Yeah, because you see it all through the card. You can definitely see that. And then there's the other way to divide it up, which is to put an, an entire tree in each world. (laughs) Uh, Also, another way to conceptualize it. Another thing that kind of goes with this world is the, you know, the um, fourfold division of the soul. So we talked about how, you know, the life force, the chai is associated with the ace of wands. The Mm. counterpart for the ace of cups is the neshama, uh, the spiritual Mm. soul. I think it translates to like breath or something like that. And I read something just this morning, very interesting about the neshama, which is that we are said to have the extra soul. The neshama is supposed to come and be with us on the Sabbath. So it's as if we have an extra soul on that day, which is why making love on the Sabbath is supposed to be extras, extra holy, etc. in Judaism. Extra holy. Extra holy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sorry. That's okay. That <laughs> was bound to happen. <laughs> Keter, of course, means crown. And yeah, the- and there are crown references in the cards. There's the whole idea of in all the in all the aces, all three of them have this idea of receiving something from Keter, from above, from the divine, and bringing it down. And uh, oh, and also we should probably mention, since we probably won't have any better opportunity to mention why the color scales are of the Sephirot. The color scales of the Sephirot are expressed in the color scale of Bria, right? Uh, so when, when you see a representation of the tree of life and you see, uh, you know, white for Keter and you see gray for Hokma and black for Bina and, you know, blue for Chesed and so on, those are the colors of the scale as expressed in Bria. However, the paths are expressed uh, as the colors of Atzilut. Right. And so if you're looking for the colors of Keter, there's it, each each Sephira has its colors fourfold divided. So one for each of the worlds or one for each of the four suits. So in the case of the Ace of Cups, it's also a form of white, but uh, wherein Keter, it, it's called simply brilliance. In this card, it's called white brilliance. Right. From being the pure brilliance of the absolutic world which is kind of unnameable it's got a little bit more definition where it's white it's a little closer to something we might be able to perceive (laughs) not all the way there (laughs) which by the way if you're trying to paint something in the color white brilliance or brilliance it's not that easy (laughs) i bet yeah how do you do that well the only way i've done it is to obviously use some white, but there also has to be a lot of contrast. The idea of brilliance is achieved through contrast with darkness, the light within the darkness. It wouldn't be brilliant if it wasn't if there wasn't that contrast. True enough. In case anyone is wondering why the paths are using the Atsalutic colors and why the uh, Sephirot use the uh, Briatic colors, we think it's probably something to do with that sort of masculine-feminine division. Where right, the idea that receive the paths, the paths are more force, where the sephiro are more form, or one is more outgoing and one is more receptive. The right. sephiro receive the paths. That mm-hmm. idea, the paths lead to the sephiro. The sephiro receive them. All right. So before we go card by card, I have a a bunch of historical stuff. Are we ready for that? Sure. Why not? Okay. Sure. Why not? Okay, so in terms of historical references for the Ace of Cups, uh, cups are easy. They, there's no dispute over which playing card suit they go with. They go with hearts, which makes sense. Uh, ah, the power to love, the, the dare to and love. to love. That's exactly. the power of this suit. And interestingly enough, although, you know, in cardomancy, a lot of the time the meanings for the playing cards are very, very different from what you'd expect from tarot, they're very similar for the Ace of Cups. Uh, Basically, you know, love, romance, the I got to drink some tea, I ate too much marzipan scum of. The idea of emotional connection. The uh, text in Etea is interesting. It says, there is a difference here. It says that the original sense of this card was... The law, mm, let's see, 
the they call it the table de la loi, which technically literally means the table of the law, but I think idiomatically means the Ten Commandments. So, you know, so it's sort of like the thing that you you must do. It says it indicates an inflexible will. And if you draw it with another card, uh, it confirms the prediction, whatever it is. So it's like a big yes card, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, And then it said, if the card is upside down, it predicts unexpected changes in your position, which I think by position, he means job. And then there's one other thing, which is, which was, I just thought kind of evocative. Um, so normally, Atea has a lot of uh, sort of details about like, if you find it with this card or that card or whatever it is, um, it means this, it has this particular signification. And I, th- I think what happened is that he was, you know, observing what happened in his readings. And basically, he just backforms, back applies those interpretations to the divinatory meaning of the card. But he says, if you find this card with with a reversed card number 31, which happens to be what we would call, I think, the five of wands, then that means that you will see in a dream what must happen to you, what is going to happen to you. So I just really like that because there is something about this card to me that does have a connection to visions and dreams, you know, oh, definitely. in that lunar way. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, um, oh, I found something from uh, in Urban Dictionary about the Ace of Hearts. <laughs> and I did not know this, but um, it has to do with gender identity and politics. Um, if you identify as asexual, you might call yourself an ace. That's just sort of a, a slang term for someone who is asexual. And if you describe yourself as an ace of hearts, that means that you are asexual, but you experience romantic love. Whereas if you're an ace of spades, uh, you are asexual and you do not experience the sensation of romantic love. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> I had no idea. Okay, um, so that's what I've got for historical references. Kind of interesting. Yeah. And maybe as sort of a way of going into the card by card, we could talk really briefly what we the same thing we did with the Ace of Wands, maybe talk really briefly about the Marseille uh, Ace of Cups, since, you know, there's more of an influence of those Marseille cards on the Aces than on any other cards. The Ace of Cups in Marseille is really kind of interesting because it has this super elaborate, speaking of adornment, you know, super elaborate uh, grail type thing. It's a closed cup, very much like the cup that you see on the Rider-Waite-Smith Queen of Cups. And, and you know, I actually saw a cup that was exactly like that cup. It looks really hard to drink out of. Yeah, yeah. I saw one in the cloisters when I was there. They had a tarot and playing card exhibit a couple years ago. And I went and I saw I saw a cup there that looked just like it. And you know, I'm pretty sure it was a reliquary, not an actual drinking cup. So something to keep a relic in kind mm-hmm. of a thing, which makes kind of sense, right? Because you want to protect it yep. from all sides. And Interestingly enough, I read this morning in Yoav Bendov's book, the late great Marseille master, the that cup also looks a bit like a there's there's this ritual that you can do on the Sabbath in Judaism called the Havdalah, which kind of is a way of separating the day apart from other days. And 
in that ritual, one of the things that you use is this spice box, which, you know, you fill with spices and you smell it. It creates a fragrance, a reminder that this day is holy and set apart. It's called the psamim or something like that. It's like, which just means spices. That particular box, Mm. it looks like the Marseille Ace of Cups. So it's just kind of interesting. It almost looks like it has like towers on it. Yes. Yes, it does. And it has also these sort of like jagged shapes spilling out of it, which I think are meant to be streams of water. But yeah, they that's could what be, I assumed. Yeah, yeah. They kind of look like those ribbons that you put in your in your boxes. <laughs> yeah, you know, with kind the of. serrated edges. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but um, the emphasis when you see a cup like that is kind of more that it's a vessel for holding something that has no form, right? Because you know we we associate cups with the heart because the heart holds our emotions uh, and the cup holds what cannot be contained. And I think that that's applicable really to all aces of cups, not just Yeah, the without Marseille. the cup, the water, the water can take any form, but without the cup, it's formless. Yeah. 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 Kind of like what we were talking about way back in um, the Knight or Prince of Wands, the bowl of the rain god or whatever it was called from the I Ching that, you know, it can rain all you like, but you don't get any of it unless you have a bowl. So we don't have any I Ching or geomantic references for the aces, do we? No, pretty much only n- numerology references with the with the one, mm-hmm. the creators. Ah, uh, yeah, all the creator gods, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea one is an interesting number just because it's the only number that's indivisible and it's not multipliable because you just get the same number back and uh, but it does have the property of addition and -hmm. it's only divisible if you divide it into you know in whole numbers that is if you divide it into a positive one and a minus one Mm -hmm. so it's it's just an interesting number but the fact that it is useful for addition means that that's what all things it's the start of all things and it builds to everything else Mm -hmm. and if you divide anything by itself you come back to one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, that that divine spark in all of us, you could say. Um, oh, you know what else was really mm-hmm. interesting? We were talking about how this card has an association with the death card. Mm-hmm. And this is just kind of funny to me because in 777, if you're looking at the, there's a column for diseases and the, <laughs> the disease right. for, for the number one, you know, Keter, mm-hmm. is death. <laughs> the ultimate That's disease. Hilarious. That is really funny. <laughs> I thought it would be like narcissism, but no. <laughs> That's great. I we don't also... know what it is, but it killed them. <laughs> <laughs> it is the ultimate disease. And I love the idea also that that it represents conception or potential, because if you think of that point within the circle, it is like you know, a fertilized egg. A fertilized yep. egg. We're gonna probably, when we talk about especially the Wait Smith card, the you know the Grail. There's you know the Holy Grail appears in the center of the round table, so it's like the point in the center, or uh, it's like the hole in the chalice, or the circle with the hole, or the dot inside the fertilized egg. Right. Yes, we're gonna see all kinds of Grail imagery as we move ahead. So, um. Shall we start with Rider-Waite-Smith? Sure. Okie doke. So I actually pulled out all of the aces just 
for fun. And you know what's kind of cool? I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you arrange them in sort of order of the divine names, so Ace of Wands on the right, and then Ace of Cups, and then Ace of Swords, and then Ace of Pentacles, you can see that all these hands kind of are pointing into the center. Ah, yeah. It's kind of neat that way. They're all right hands. I think that that's important. Yeah, you can do that. And it's also kind of interesting because if you look at the way the Hebrew letters Yod and Vav are written, they are, especially the Vav, kind of reflective of those emblems. So whereas the Hays are more sort of rounded and uh, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's pretty loose, but you can, you can get there. So here we have the Cup of Communion. What we have is the dove of the Holy Spirit at the top, which also, I guess, would correspond to Keter. Yeah, or it could be a reference to Venus and the idea of love, mm-hmm. or of Su- Sophia as the divine feminine. All of that dove symbolism relates as well. Right. Yes, we have also, um, we haven't talked about this for a long time, but in the Major Arcana, we were constantly seeing dove and serpent imagery where the dove descends and the serpent rises. Those are sort of, you know, aspiring to the divine and divine grace coming down towards us. But I also like the fact that there's that communion wafer (laughs) that the dove's holding. That's like a, you know, Keter in Malkut, Malkut and Keter kind of reference. Great. And, you know, the circle itself is, is often a symbol for spirit. And, you know, the aces are associated with, with spirit and Keter and The white circle in particular, I think I read that it's a Chinese emblem for heaven and the Mm -hmm. black, whereas the black square is earth. Right. But that you have the four corners in the cross in the center, it's almost as if earth is within heaven, you know, the four within the circle. Yes, matter within the circle of spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we have the cup itself, which is marked with, I know it looks like a W because it's upside down, but it's thought to be an M for Mary. Yeah, I'm pretty convinced it's an M, although I've seen arguments that it's a W. For water. (laughs) Yeah, uh, M for the letter Mem, which means water, or even for Mother or Mary, Mm -hmm. given Waits' Mm -hmm. Christian mysticism background. both would be perfectly applicable as well. It looks more like one of Pamela's M's than one of her W's. She wrote W's with a diagonal. Yeah, for sure. Rather than a vertical sides. I was reading, I think probably in Bendove, I don't remember, that if it is M for Mary, then it's the body of Mary receiving the host. Um, That's why it's upside down. Right. Didn't the Dove of Spirit, supposedly Mm -hmm. that's how she conceived Christ? Exactly. So she was suffused with the Holy Spirit. Yes. uh, I was just thinking something else about that host, Mm -hmm. too. Like the fact that it's a cross inside the circle, whereas a circle is often also a symbol of life itself. And then the cross inside it, again, is a sacrifice, sacrificial symbol, the cross. (sighs) Yes. Yes. There's that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The five streams that are emerging from the cup, they could be the five senses, they could be the five wounds of Christ. Uh, He was said to have been wounded five times. Could be, you know, spirit plus matter, as we've often talked about. The the quintessence. It's reading somewhere that weight said something about the streams. I'm just going to look it up real quick. Where he described, it says, 
the hand issues from the cloud holding in its palm the cup from which four streams are pouring. So he either counted wrong or something. Uh, it could be that he wanted that to be a reference to the four streams of Eden, the four rivers of Eden. Right. Who knows? Yeah, could be something like that. But I just think he couldn't count. <laughs> or it could be one of his famous blinds. Yes, one of his famous blinds, So, which is very popular among occultists, that the person who's in the know kind of leaves you false clues. So the secrets are not completely revealed, which is a really annoying idea, because how the <laughs> hell are you supposed to sort it out? I mean, it's hard enough as it is. Right. <laughs> oh, and then, and then we have the 26 drops, uh, yep. which are yodes, right? Yeah, so that would be probably a reference to the divine name, which enumerates to 26 if you add up the value of all the letters. Exactly, because Yod is 10, and then He is 5. There are two of those, and then Vav is 6. So that adds up to 26. And then anything else? I guess there's the water lilies at the bottom. Yeah, that's really interesting because not only it brings in, again, the death card, you see um, lotuses associated lotuses and lilies associated with Scorpio often because of, you know, that idea of growth out of the mud or um, growth from putrefaction or the waters of life that the lotus rises from. Yes. That theme of regeneration, I guess you would call it. Isn't there a water lily on the Thoth death card? Uh, Let me think. I think so. Yeah. And there's one on his ace as well. Well, it's a a lotus. It's so obvious. It's barely worth mentioning, but of course, this is water because of the association with water. But it's funny, though, you know, when you first look at the aces, and you're first learning tarot, you don't even really think about it. But it really is very clearly laid out in all of the aces, you know, the element is right there for all to see. It's not it's not occulted at all. And the other thing about the lotus that's interesting Mm -hmm. is so there's this, we know that there's the um, linkage between the aces and the princesses. And the princesses all have in their title either the the rose of the palace of this or the lotus of the palace of that. The water element and the air element both have lotuses for their princesses. They sure and do. So the lotus and the rose, I've read that the lotus is like the rose of the east, where the rose is the same symbol but in the Western tradition. Oh, and they both have to do with themes of evolution and unfolding and realization of potential. So yeah, and you can see the roses on the Ace of Pentacles, roses associated with the wands and the pentacles or discs and lotuses associated with the cups or swords. Yeah. Right. And as yeah. lilies, there's some idea of purity involved right. as well. And it makes me think of Bina as the, I've read a phrase where she's the mother who cleanses her children of impurities. The reference to her children is the emotions, which I thought was interesting in relation to this card. Because there's a lot of themes of cleansing, the cleansing waters and the, the purification, the lustration, the lustral waters, purification by sacrifice and baptism. Yes. Yes, and the idea of water and wine and blood all being kind of interconnected. Yeah, the holy fluids. The other yes. thing about the lotus, it probably applies more to the Thoth card, mm-hmm. but there's the thousand-petaled lotus, which is the uh, final revelation. You know, the, And it's said that at the inside of that, there's a triangle that contains all that's formless, which I thought oh, that was interesting. That is interesting. It's just because the triangle is the shape of 
the glyph of water and form and formlessness, the idea of form coming out of formlessness. Yes, yes. In fact, we should probably just go right on to Thoth. Why not? Why not? Such a beautiful card. Yeah. So you see the cup coming right out of that many-petaled lotus. Mm -hmm. There was something that I did not understand in the Book of Thoth description, and maybe you can explain it to me. He says um, at the base of the cup is the moon, and I don't really see a moon. And you don't, he also says something about a dove descending, and you don't see that either. Yeah. Um, yeah. What hmm. I think Duquette said about that is that he was referring to an earlier draft of the card when he wrote that. So I guess oh. we'll never see that. Oh, that's a pity. Hmm. Yeah. But it could just be in that white brilliance, and we can't yes. see. Yes, we can just assume it's there. Yeah. And I also like the wave formations that we have on this, which are reminiscent of the Princess of Cups and her scallop shell. Yeah, because they look like a scallop shell. Mm -hmm. And the scallop shell appears on her card. Yes. And the scallop shell, in fact, takes the place of the altar of the princess, as we were talking about in the Princess of Wands. In the case of the Princess of Cups, that's her altar. Which again, the scallop shell is one of the symbols for Venus or Aphrodite, again, bringing in that idea of love. And in general, Venus, the both the planet and the goddess, if you're doing planetary magic or planetary work, she's associated with the element of water. You think of her as her epithets are cold and moist or cold and wet, which doesn't sound terribly sexy, but <laughs> but uh, but of the four, that is her that is her attribute. And if, if you remember, back to Promethea for a second, when the heroines visit Netzach, which is ruled by Venus, so the seventh severe Netzach, it is underwater. Mm. Can we go back for a second to sure. the, um, the scallop shell? This is my own personal thing. I haven't really read this anywhere, but when I see that those shapes, they not only look like this striations of the scallop shell they also do look like ripples in water and yeah. when i see that for some reason what i hear in my head or think of is the the ohm the sound of mm. ohm hitting water and creating these ripples of creation and you even that makes sense actually you even i think in the um translation of the stele of revealing there's a passage and it says Ohm, let it fill me. And it's talking about receiving the light of the star or the cobs. So the, again, the star, hey, another reference into yourself. And it, it reminds me, when we look at all these cards, there's this idea of receptivity to the divine, of receiving something from above. And so every time I see this card, I think of that ohm and the, the receiving the light from above and the the sound hitting the waters and creating these these ripples mm. outward. I like that a lot. And there's the idea, of course, that the M sound, the mem, is associated with water. With ohm. And and right. associated with ohm mm -hmm. because it's and that. Ohm. If, mm -hmm. The word ohm would be, you know, A-U-M, mm -hmm. mem being the final letter. It's that sound that lingers on when you say the word. You know, that's mostly what you hear. Right. Right. The, that and made with mouth closed, that mm -hmm. hum sound. Pretty much universally, there is the the word for mother, you know, has that same sound in it. Yes. Ama. It's the very first, uh, it is the very first sound you can make 
pretty much the very first consonant sound that you can make. Yeah. So there's another tie-in with birth and fertility, which is right. this card has a lot to do with. I think those are serpent handles on the uh on They're the cup. said to be, but I wonder if that's referring again to the draft because I'm not sure they really look like serpents. I guess they could. They're they serpent-ish serpent. But again, <laughs> that would be, you know, the dove and the serpent. That would right. be a nice segue into that. And, and I love the way the cup is rising from the, the center of the lotus. Yes. You know, the center of the lotus is that sacred space. It's said in India that Brahma dwells in the center of the lotus and the center of the lotus is said to be the unmoved mover or lotus growing from the navel of Vishnu or the uh, the unvarying point. There's a lot of symbolism there of rising from the center. I'm trying to remember, were we talking about the unmoved mover the other day? No, I was talking about this at dinner the other day, the paradox of infinite regress. If, you, <laughs> if you've ever heard of the expression, you know, it's elephants all the way down or it's rocks all the way down. Yeah. yeah. Yep. The, the paradox of the unmoved mover uh, is the idea that you can't get to the original cause, right? Because one thing causes the next, but what caused that? And you go yeah, back Yeah, you're talking about the, the world as a, a turtle on top of a turtle. Right. Top right. of a turtle, but what's holding up the turtle? Right. <laughs> Another turtle. <laughs> it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yes. So so a lotus really is actually a really potent symbol of infinite regress like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, the interlocking oh, circles. This, yes, the circles. Which is, uh, I suppose it's the three eons, right? It could be, but I always... Mm -hmm. so like how when you interlock circles, you get the vesica as, yes. again, a symbol of a yoni or of creation. Even that vesica symbol in Egyptian hieroglyphs, that symbol turned on its side, but nonetheless, the same vesica symbol is the uh, letter for Ra, which is the mouth of creation. So again, oh, there's that okay. idea of, you know, creation, birth, yoni, yeah. mouth, um, mm -hmm sound creating ripples that cause form. Right. So the vesica is the vesica piscis, the bladder of the fish, the sort of elongated oval. Oh, the bladder of the fish. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. brings in the death card. And that, there we go. Yeah, exactly. I would love to see this card in person someday. Oh, yeah. I wonder if they'll ever tour the exhibit of her paintings again. I would go in a heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay, so uh, shall we talk about yours? Sure. Excellent. Yeah, you've got the, uh, the, the water, the elemental triangle right there, front and center. Yep. So all of the aces, we probably mentioned this in the Ace of Wands episode, but all of the aces in my deck are formed on this geometric structure that's made from these different circles that are in golden ratio to each other in size. Mm -hmm. So on the two... Feminine aces, the ace of cups and the ace of discs, these circles decrease in size from the bottom to the top or from top to bottom. You know, they're in decreasing yeah. size. Whereas on the opposite to the masculine ones, they're the other way. So you end up with the upright triangles because the, the apex point forms at the bottom of this card. And you'll see the bottom of the triangle there mm -hmm. with the little Malkut symbol in it. But if you look at all four aces, you'll see that's true. That and princesses, for that matter, that they're built upon this geometric pattern. You can't, can't always see it really clear, but if you look, there's that little tiny circle that is Malkut. And then if you look in the pattern 
of the uh, tree bark, you'll see there's another little circle above that. And then you'll see there's a bigger circle around that opening in the tree. And then there's the really big circle of the moon. So all of those circles are in a golden ratio proportion to each other. And they form the triangle as well as part of that. Wow. So this, folks, is why you listen to this podcast. You would never know this otherwise. (laughs) You can kind of see it if you look at all the aces and all the princesses, but especially the aces, they tend to preserve more of the circles that form the the card. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we've got the, again, we've got the lilies or lotuses around the tree in the water, and we've got the ripples. We do indeed have the... uh, Five streams, sort of like the Rider yeah. Weight card in a sense yeah. of and water I like the way pouring. You have four on one side and one on the other because that's you know like the four elements. The four, and- the four and one, yeah. Mm-hmm, the four and one, mm-hmm. exactly. So the four, kind of the idea of the four powers and one power, um, the quintessence. Right. The that cup itself, the the shell. It's actually a real object. In I've my seen home. it in your house. It's so cool. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful shell. It's probably like eight inches wide, and it's mm-hmm. got pearls and uh, a big – it's actually an amethyst stone in the one I own, um, mm-hmm. kind of welded to it with silver solder, and it's just beautiful. Do you know, and that was the um, inspiration for this card. It's an actual object. What kind of shell is it? Do you know what creature it belongs to? Um, I don't know. It's very white and and very large and deep, mm-hmm. and it, you can use it as a bowl or offering bowl, you know, to offer water. But also- that's uh, it's kind of cool because the pearls, the pearls encrusted on on there, re- remind me of a story. There was supposed to be a pearl attached to the forehead of Shiva as his third mm. eye, which gave him his sense of eternity. And the reason that is interesting because have you heard the story of how the grail was fashioned from it was made by angels from an emerald that dropped from lucifer's forehead or lucifer's crown when he was hurled into the abyss no kidding and that's interesting on so many levels because okay crown crown Mm -hmm. as a symbol of keter Mm -hmm. thrown into the abyss which makes you think of the great sea of (laughs) And I just thought that was really cool. That is really cool. the emerald. So I put this stone on my card and I said that it can be an emerald and it can be a ruby. When it's a ruby, it's it's visible in the card as a ruby. And when it's a ruby, it's the cup of Babylon or the womb of life. Mm -hmm. When it's an emerald, it's a reference to the Holy Grail, which was formed from that emerald that was dropped from Lucifer's <laughs> crown or forehead. Fantastic. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. And the whole the whole grail myth, just to we didn't talk too mm-hmm. much about that, but that's really interesting because, you know, when we when you think of the grail, you, you think of a great quest. A a great quest for your mystic center or for to get that which was lost the loss right. of the divine the your loss spiritual of redemption yeah yeah mm-hmm. the loss of mm-hmm. your happiness the death of your spiritual life you know the loss of the grail is part of all that and then the quest is to regain that again there's some association with the fisher king you know his, yes his, 
his wound and the kingdom was in decline and and he's asked by Sir Parsifal, where is the grail? And upon hearing that question, he's regenerated. So again, there's that theme of sacrifice and castration and but regeneration and healing from, Mm -hmm. from this object of the grail. Yes, yes. Yeah, it seems kind of appropriate that we're doing this right after Easter. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought yeah. of that too. As well. we're yeah. only a day too late. But, right. Um, right. What is inside the cup looks like it could be water, but it could also be milk. Yeah, it could be. I, it, the idea when I drew it was trying to get the idea of the moonlight reflecting on the water. Yes. Um, yes. That, those yes. that idea of the lustral waters. Right. So they have a luminous quality. And if you look closely, you'll notice that, you know, there is this idea of something, whether it's light or water coming down from above mm-hmm. at the top of the card. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that it splashes in the water and makes a splash a that looks like a crown. Yeah. So it's a, so that was a little Keter reference, the crown of Keter. Right. In fact, so um, as you go looking at the stem of the cup, is that a dot reference? Uh, the yeah, it is. Opening? And then mm-hmm. also see that little tiny eye in the yes. um, in the center there. Is that Mimir? Yeah, that's the same eye that's in the well of Mimir on mm-hmm. the hanged man card. So that's a right. reference to Mem, hanged man, which is one of the two trumps associated with this card in a sense, the, the right. trump of water. So that's the same eye looking out at you from from the Hanged Man card. <laughs> that is so cool. So the reference in the Hanged Man card is the Well of Mimir, which uh, Odin sacrificed his eye for the sake of knowledge from the Well of Mimir, who was the mythical dragon at the right. bottom of the well. And so he hung there, suspended there for how many days or how many nights was it? I think it was nine days. That's what, that sounds right. And then, so he, and by doing so, he attained knowledge that that was given only to him. Attained wisdom. So there's a, a reference to that secret wisdom. Which... There's also a little bit of the, there's something called the Well of Wisdom in Celtic mythology. Cormac is said to travel to the, to the well of wisdom and there's supposed to be five streams coming out of that well as as no well. <laughs> no accident, I'm sure. The grail and the cup and you know the well, they're all kind of similar mythologies, the well mm-hmm. of wisdom, the holy grail, there's the magic cauldron that, you know, feeds all according to their needs and their merits, that idea. Mm-hmm. Um is another thing that comes up with this card. And it's also worth drawing out maybe the connection to the chariot, uh, the idea that the charioteer carries the grail. He is, you know, in the sign that's of cancer, which is ruled by the moon. There are similar connections through there. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, going back to the design of the card, the other thing to notice is that it sort of references the central pillar of the Tree of Life. So you will see that there's... um, Malkut down at the bottom, and then there's the central pillar uh, with the crown of Keter at the top. It's very loosely done, but nonetheless, it's there. Mm-hmm. And there is even a point between the eye of Mimir and Dot and Malkut, which we can think of, I guess, as Tiferet or Yesod. Yeah, Yesod. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another thing I really like about what you did with the elemental triangles is each one is formed according to its nature. So 
you know, so that the the one and the upward triangle on the Ace of Wands is on fire, <laughs> and this one's wavy because water. And I yep. believe, and the uh, yeah, on- wavy is another. It's a mm-hmm. idea of water and an idea of serpent energy, the undulations, you know, of of that. And you'll also notice that the color of it is a sort of orangey color. Yeah, and so that's um that's an elemental thing. Oftentimes, the symbols of an element are actually formed of the two colors of the two opposing symbols. So for water, which you think of as being blue, mm-hmm. you have orange as the color because oh. it's the mixture of red and yellow. Ah, uh, yes. And that's why you have blue flames on the Ace of Wands. Yeah, it kind of works that way. Yeah, neat. And the other thing I really love about this card is um, everyone should take out their Princess of Cups from Tabula Mundi. I love the way these two cards connect with each other. Uh, the way you can see the the upper half of the moon behind the Princess of Cups and the and the top of of the of the cup itself, and that she's rising from it like Aphrodite. Did you do the same sort of? Uh, did you have uh, the same kind of um, overlapping with all of the princesses yes. and aces? Yeah, they are all very visually similar because they're built on the same idea and geometry. The other interesting thing is that that eye here, which is the eye of from the Hanged Man card, it can be thought of as the eye of a serpent, and it's kind of similar. In a sense, there's also those eyes in the Ace of Discs card, which are the eyes of the crocodile. Wow. So there's a kind of similarity between those two aces with that. Yes, yes, that's true. And you have an eye on the Ace of Swords <laughs> as well. Oh, yeah, in they the see you. The sword. That divine eye sees you. Right, right. <laughs> you can't hide. That's it, yeah. Okay, uh, anything else to say about your Ace of Cups. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? Something else did just come to me. There's mm-hmm. this idea again. This brings in the um, the Death card again in a, in a certain sense because there's you know there's the Ace of Cups is said to be the moon to the sun of the Ace of Wands. Mm-hmm. So there's a real lunar quality to it, and I thought it was really interesting. I read somewhere that there's a a mythology of the moon being the land of the dead. And it's where the the souls go when they die. They go to the dark of the moon and when and for three days or however long, and then they're reborn. So wow. I thought that was That's kind cool. of interesting. That's um, cool, yeah. Just another life, death, rebirth, uh, home of the spirit type of thing um, happening there. And also, um, I think one thing I also like about your card is that it isn't exactly, you know, we're not seeing the the moon in its fullness, we're seeing the upper half of the moon, and then the lower half is reflected in the water. Um, so, you know, it's, there's, there is that receptivity and the reflection, which is, you know, a fundamentally lunar quality. It reminds me of the thing that Crowley said about the Ace of Cups that, you know, we cannot see because it was an earlier draft or whatever it was, because he does say something about, let me just bring it up here. Yeah, it is the virtue of this card to conceive and to produce the second form of its nature. And I have no idea what that means. But <laughs> but this idea of reflecting and opening like the lotus, yeah. and you know, reproducing eternally is somewhere in there, I think. Yeah, reflection is an inherent property of water. And that reminds me, when I was doing some research on the um, 
the grail and the cup of the stolistas, it came up that there's a relationship to the copper laver of Moses. Do you know what yeah, that is? Yeah, what is that? I don't know what that is. I thought laver was seaweed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But supposedly it was a cup or a bowl that was made from melted copper mirrors of righteous women. <laughs> So, Those must have been hard to find. <laughs> the idea, the idea, though, what, what reminded me of that is when you just mentioned, you know, the idea of reflection, mm-hmm. um, you know, melted and melted copper mirrors again, and a, copper, copper Venus, Venus, love and mirrors yeah. reflection. I don't know. I just thought it was yeah. kind of interesting. And women, the idea of women. Yes. So a lot of Venusian influence there. That's pretty wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, are we ready for practical applications? An hour in? <laughs> Actually, more sure, than Sure, yeah. It's, we should probably get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how about, what is it? what does it represent for you? A lot of times it's about, you know, we've talked about this idea of receptivity. When this card comes up, it means that the time is ripe or the conditions are right for something to do with love or creation or that pursuit of the highest good of the grail legend is something's receptive to that. The conditions are right. It can even be, I've seen it as actual, not pregnancy, but pre-pregnancy where the person is either consciously trying to conceive or is ready, wants to, you know, desires to have a child or a Ooh. relation, a love relationship. I like um, that. Mm-hmm. Of that nature. I've seen it predict a future pregnancy that doesn't exist yet as, uh, so I kind of see it as this condition of fertility where the time is, is right to be receptive to things of love and creation. Mm, I like that a lot. So almost like the ovulation. Hmm. Yeah, something like that. And that would tie in with the cycles of the moon. And Right. Fascinating. Well, I have some really funny ones um, that I found while going back through things. Um, I found one from way back in 2015. And I had drawn this card and that evening I had gone to see the Song of the Sea. I don't know if you know that. It's a no. It's it's a wonderful animation by um Tom Moore who did The Secret of Kells which is my absolutely favorite animated movie. You should see it, you'd love it. Um but The Song of the Sea is uh you know Celtic mythology and all based on the myth of the Selkie and uh, you know so that just sort of seemed appropriate for that card. But you know what's really funny is that I often get it when there's precipitation. <laughs> So oh, like, that's funny. Snow, yeah. rain. Uh, I have one here from last year where, let's see, I have notes, frozen pipes, unclogged a drain, <laughs> and I had to drip the taps because it was so cold. Um, let's see. And in the summer, I've gotten it for like super humid days. On a more metaphysical level, I've had it to represent doing the thing that you love. That makes sense. That you're to called dare to do. love, mm-hmm. or um, or trying to do it <laughs> and having trouble with it. When I read for other people, I've often drawn the Ace of Cups, and then they get very excited, kind of like when you see the Two of Cups. You know, you see the Ace of Cups, and it's like, oh, he must love me. I must love him. You know, there's a sort of like recognition thing going on. But in my experience, I have seen that. The Ace of Cups, at least in my readings, doesn't tend to necessarily indicate the presence of a potential relationship. 
I mean, it doesn't necessarily indicate the presence of reciprocal feelings. It indicates the presence of feelings. So, you know, the right. person who you're reading for is feeling something. It could be unrequited. It could be, it could have nothing to do with whether the relationship itself is actually going to manifest. I but, think it has more to do with the person that you're reading for being ready and receptive for a love exactly, relationship. Exactly. And the emotional energy that spontaneously arises from that feeling. And then I've also seen, at least personally, Ace of Cups reversed, I'm always exhausted. It's like the, the cup is pouring out. <laughs> it's pouring the out the water empty. and it's not being replenished and I'm exhausted. That's a, that's a really consistent one for me, even though this is the cup I get the least often. And then finally, I got it today. <laughs> and you got cups as well. Yeah, I got two cups as well. I got the four and the seven. <laughs> so, you know, folks, it's tarot. There are no coincidences. <laughs> All right. I also uh, see this card sometimes to do with like communing with spirit, I guess, you know, yeah. um, tuning into tuning into whatever is coming for the message is coming. That's for your highest good, I guess you would say. Yes. Yes. I think. For me, there's a sense of connection, just generally. I mean, there's a, you know, for me, when I'm trying to do divination or magic, there's a particular physical state that I have to be in. A receptive state. Yeah, you imagine yourself as being continuous with the world and open. And that's definitely something that I associate with this card. Yeah. Because you cannot definitely. close yourself off when you're trying to do this kind of work. I think that we might have covered it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> All right. There's so a shall... lot there for, a, for oh an my ace, God, which for I generally ace? thought of yeah. as very, very, fairly simple cards. There's a, there's a lot to this card. Yeah, it, I'm amazed what, at what we were able to cover. All right. So to summarize, uh, we've, we've talked about elemental water, of course, and the association with the fixed sign of water, Scorpio, death and transformation and rebirth. And the association with the elemental water card, the hanged man. Oh, yes. Yes. We associated it uh, with the Pacific, that Western quadrant of Earth as well. And the crown of Keter in the world of Bria, the world of creation. And the Holy Grail fashioned by angels from an emerald from Lucifer's crown as he or was hurled into the abyss and dropped it. And, uh, of course, we associate it with Hay Primal, the first Hay in the divine name. And Bina, the bright fertile mother. We associate it with all stories of sacrifice and redemption, uh, all saviors. And we associate it with the sacredness of blood and the grail that carries it. Water, blood, and wine, the sacred mm -hmm. fluids. We talked about... Uh, its relationship to the Ace of Hearts. And the Well of Wisdom. And the Cup of Stolistes. And the Lotus. And the 26 drops, adding up to the divine name. And the Dove and the Serpent. Of Venus or the Great Mother. And Mary. We talked about the Ace's potential or conception, the fertilized egg. And the idea of purification. In this case, purification by water. The lustral We've waters. talked about lustral waters and, and holy water made by plunging a torch 
into a cup of water. Yes, the Holy Grail and the Sacred Lance. Okay, so this has been the Cosmic Yoni. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for joining us as we have uh, launched on our journey across the seas of the Suit of Cups. And we hope that you'll join us next week for the Two of Cups, the Lord of Love. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.